Imagine with me for a moment that somebody approaches you and they say, hey, what would it take to get you to allow your preschooler just to play in the middle of Portsmouth Boulevard for a little bit? Yeah, how, much, how much would it take? You know, I'll, I'll cut you any kind of check to let your little preschool uh, granddaughter, grandson, your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, whatever, how much would it take to get you to let them play in the middle of Portsmouth Boulevard for a little while? See, you would look at that person like they were sick, like they had issues, right? I mean, because there's no amount of money. There's nothing they could possibly offer you that you would say, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I'll do that. No, because at the core of who we are as parents, as grandparents, as family, is this idea of safety and protection of our kids. And that's a good value. That's important. That's very important. It's a very good thing. We're, we're launching a new series called At Our Core. It's a series that will examine just who we are as a church. That when the rubber meets the road here at Central, just who are we? What are we all about anyway? It's really a call to unity so that we can march forward together in one voice. Our theme for this past year has been a transformational church. And what does a transformational church look like? And what does a transformational church do? And what has God called the church to be? And to act. And so we've, we've walked through the book of Acts and we've seen how God has kind of laid out the blueprints for a healthy church and what a healthy church does and what it looks like. And then how God has made his church, how he's created his church to move and how the church is not a building. The church is a people. We are the church. And so throughout the course of this series, I have, I've had many people come up to me over this year and just say, you know, Steve, I, I want to be a church like that. Now, I, I want to be a church that, that is on the move, that's impacting people, that's making a difference in our community, that we, we want to be a healthy church that's growing because we understand that healthy things grow. And so we, we want to be sharing Jesus with people and impacting people. We want to look like that. And so that's good because we don't, we don't you know, it would be a shame if for whatever reason Central just shut her doors and the community didn't even notice. You know, the community should take notice that we're here. This should be a place of refuge and hope and encouragement and excitement, that, that being here is a very good thing, that, that Portsmouth ought to notice if we weren't here. And so we, we want to be a type of church that's on the move to transform our culture because of our obedience to God and because of our commitment to his scriptures and our excitement for his word and our love for people. And so with that in mind, you know, the staff and I, we've been praying and we've been searching the scriptures together and we've been asking questions just like, God, what would you have us do? You know, in, in the grand scheme of things of your global church, the local expression here of the body of Christ, what what is our mission in that? What, what should we give our lives to? You know, how are you going to use Central to be a transformational church? And as we've prayed and as we've talked and as we've studied together, we've, we've really realized that we needed to be in unity on this mission. You know, the, you know the difference between harmony and unity. It can't simply be harmony. If we asked everybody here, you know, what, what is Central all about? we'd probably get a lot of the same answers, but they'd be said slightly differently. You know, we'd say similar things, but it would sound a little different. Um, that's harmony. And that's not bad, but unity is a lot stronger. And let, let me give you an illustration for unity real quick. I, 
Um, many years ago now, I used to cover the Orlando Magic and uh, worked for a little small radio station, go to the games, interview the players and coaches and that kind of thing, and then kind of talk about it on the radio. And one, at this particular season that I worked, uh, the, the Magic were in the playoffs, they were playing the Detroit Pistons. And in one of the games, uh, it was close, you know, it was one of those nail biters, it's the fourth quarter, and a call went against the Magic, okay? And so the whole arena, the, throughout the game, they're yelling and screaming, it's playoff atmosphere, it's loud, and they're probably yelling similar stuff, but it's all noise, you can't really decipher what it is they're saying. But when that call went against the Magic, then this uh, chant in unity developed, and it was three blind mice, three blind mice, three blind mice. And you hear it in the weight of the whole crowd, of that whole arena, just goes right down on the officials. Okay, because they could now hear it. Before it was just noise, like kind of in the background. But then when a whole crowd chants in unity, the officials hear it. And so the next close call, it went the magic's way, and the whole crowd erupted in cheer because they knew they affected the outcome of that. They knew they had, a, they had a part to play in that, and that's the power of unity. And we want to be able to speak with that kind of unity to our culture, to our, to our neighborhoods, the places where we live, work, and play. When anyone who walks on our campus, they would know, hey, this is what Central is about. When people talk about what is Central about, when conversations are had, it is clear, hey, this is why Central exists. And so as we looked... Um, to God and just kind of asked and prayed, okay, God, what, what are we about? What would you have us be about? What have you called your church to be? And what have you called your church to do? We've kind of boiled it down to this, that central exists to share Jesus and to impact people. That this is who we are. This is why we're here, that we exist to share Jesus and to impact people. That if we ever stopped sharing Jesus, that you could just go ahead and shut our doors because we no longer have the purpose for which God has created his church. And if we ever stop impacting people, if we ever stop making disciples and impacting people's lives and, and, and guiding them through the scriptures on what it looks like to have a godly marriage and be a godly grandparent and be a godly family and, 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 and talking to people about Jesus, that if we ever stop doing that, we can go ahead and shut our doors because we would be irrelevant to our culture. This is why we gather, and this is why we scatter. This is what the church is about. And so we recognize that, and we want to give our lives to that. The mission is that important, to share Jesus and to impact people. This morning, I want to dig deep with you on that first phrase, share Jesus. And to, go, to do that, if you would turn with me to this tiny little book of Jude. Okay, the tiny little book of Jude is right before the book of Revelation, toward the back of your Bibles. And we'll be talking about sharing Jesus and why that's important and what that looks like. And, you know, some of you might think, well, this is a church, sharing Jesus. You know, that's kind of a no-brainer. That kind of goes hand-in-hand with being a church. But... What I've discovered in years of ministry is you just can't take that for granted. Um, it's, it's, I've, I've learned two things real quickly. And one is people often agree with the idea of sharing Jesus. They, they will often say, oh, this is a good thing. It is good to share Jesus. But many will fail to ever do it. 
Secondly, I've also learned that an increasing number of churches no longer even believe that it is a good thing to share Jesus. This may sound shocking to you, but I just read a poll just the other week that uh, Barna put out a survey, and, and in that survey, he said 20% of baby boomers on up, okay, 20% of baby boomers and the elderly believe it is wrong to evangelize, believe it is wrong to share Jesus. It is, it is offensive, it is divisive, and it's wrong. It's 20% of baby boomers on up. The study said that 27% of Gen X people think it's wrong. 27% of Gen Xers thinks it's wrong to evangelize, to share Jesus with someone who doesn't believe. And 50% of millennials. And these are people who call themselves evangelical. Okay, I'm not just talking about society at large. I'm talking 50% of millennials who call themselves evangelical Christians. 27% of Gen Xers who call themselves evangelical Christians, 20% of baby boomers who call themselves evangelical Christians think it's wrong to share Jesus with people. Okay, so, so this is not just some kind of, well, this is what churches do. Churches share Jesus. No, there's an increasing number of churches who think, no, it's wrong that your relationship with Jesus is just this internal private matter that you just have with yourself alone with God. See, the mission to share Jesus is critical in our church today. And at Central, we want to be known. We are putting a, a, ground, a, a stake in the ground saying, this is who we are. We share Jesus with people here. That when you talk about what, what happens at Central, people will know, hey, they share Jesus there. In, in a way that is gentle and loving and respectful, but at the same time bold and truthful, they will speak truth to you. Because this is what changes people's lives. This is where hope is found. And so let's go ahead. Let's look at Jude verses 1 through 4. Jude verses 1 through 4. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Okay, so Jude, he's writing to the church. Jude's considered a general epistle. Most believe he's writing to the, the broader body of Christ, to the general church. And he says, to those who are called, who are beloved in God and kept by Christ. And that's a great statement of the security of your salvation right there. And he says, hey, I'm writing to you, and I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. Did you catch? I, I wanted to write to you about soteriology and what it looks like to be saved and this body to which we're saved and the benefits of our salvation. I wanted to write to you about that shared security. And I wanted to tell you what that meant. And you know, now, like 2,000 years later, as we're reading this, 
I'm over here looking at it, and I'm saying, Jude, you know, this letter's kind of short. Maybe you could have squeezed in the time to write one extra letter, because I would have enjoyed reading what you had to say about our common salvation. But he doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit didn't guide Jude to write that letter. The Holy Spirit guided Jude to write this letter. And only this letter is preserved for the saints of all generations, perhaps because of the importance of its content, that he just had to write this one, that this one just had to be preserved for the churches so that the church would read it and reread it and read it again and be reminded again and again and again of the importance of this message. And Jude says, I wanted to write you about our salvation, but instead I found it necessary I was compelled. I just had to write about something else. It was necessary. It was important that I write to you to contend for the faith, to share Jesus. But I had to write to you about this because as a Christian, this is what you do. You share Jesus with people. And Jude is right. He's appealing to this church because evidently this church has stopped sharing Jesus that evidently it was a struggle for the churches just to stay on mission and share Jesus with people. That, that you, you see it in verse 4, that people are creeping in unnoticed, and they're just coming in. These, these people who are designated for condemnation, ungodly people, people who pervert the grace of our God. And something has happened in the churches where they have failed to share Jesus the way they're supposed to share Jesus. And, and Jude says, I had to write about this. I was compelled. I could not write about anything else. I had to write to you about apologetics, about the need to share Jesus with people because this is who God has designed you to be. This is who God has created you to be, a people who will share Jesus with people. You know, I don't listen to a whole lot of music. I don't know if you like music. I, I, I just don't. When, I, when I'm in the car, you know, usually it's like sports talk radio or something like that, and that's kind of how I wind down. But um, when I do listen to music, it's usually Pandora, okay, because I don't know the names of any bands very well. I don't, I don't know all that, but there's a few songs that I like, and I like Pandora because you just put it in the name of the song, and then Pandora will play other songs like that one. And it'll give you that little button, right? Like if you, if you like the song, you give it the thumbs up. Yeah, it's a good song. Give me more songs like this one. And if you don't like it, you give it a thumbs down. No, I don't want songs like that one. And so I like that because there's this built-in algorithm. And so I'm able to say, yeah, hey, I like this song. And it kind of gets to know my taste. Okay, he likes songs with loud drums. He likes songs with strong male lead vocals. He likes songs with, like, some bass going on. Okay, and I'm kind of on the edges of what I know right now. But, um, <laughs> but you get the point. You know how Pandora works. Sometimes I think we can treat the Bible that way. That we can read statements in the Bible and we can say, oh, the Bible says that I'm a child of God. I like that. I, I like it when God says that about me. But, but then the Bible says that, hey, he calls me his disciple and, and that means I've got to leave my mom and dad to be his disciple. I don't, I don't like that so much. I like it when God says that I'm adopted into his family. But when God says, like, let the dead bury their own dead, I don't, I don't like that statement as much. I, I like it when, when God says that you can find rest and peace for your soul. I, I like that. 
But when the Bible tells me that I'm going to be persecuted for Christ's sake, nah, I'm, I'm not for that. And sometimes we can come to a, to a section like this that talks about contending for the faith. That this is who we are as believers. That this is what the church is about. That we, that we contend with immoral, ungodly people. People who pervert the grace of our God. And we can read that. People who deserve condemnation. And we can say, you know what? That sounds too big for me. I don't think I like that as much. I'll stick to just being a child of God adopted into his family. There's safety there. There's security there. I can be comfortable there. See, we can see this call to share Jesus. We can think, ah, I don't know that that's for me. Contending for the faith, you know, as Jude puts it. That doesn't sound so safe. That sounds scary. And I'm not gifted in evangelism. That's not really my skill set. I haven't studied apologetics. You know, I do well just to have a quiet time and pray. And I'm hardly this contender for the faith that Jude is appealing the church to be. Well, his letter appeals to us to be that same thing today, to appeal uh, to appe- appeals to us to contend for the faith. And Jude says you have to. This is part and parcel of what it means to be saved, that you share Jesus with people, that you contend for the faith with people who pervert the grace of our God. You have to share Jesus with people, people who deny Jesus, people with different worldviews, who, who see the world totally different than we do. You share Jesus with those people. And we, and we read it and we look at it and sometimes we can think, well, I don't want to start an argument. You know, I'd rather just be kind to them. I'd rather just serve them really well. I just want to maintain a peaceful relationship with them and just make things good and and just make sure that I'm loving them. You know, contending for the faith, that sounds a lot like contention. You know, contending sounds like it brings about some contention, and that sounds negative. That sounds hard. I I don't even know if that's right. Is that loving? Is that even Christian? Should we really be doing that? That doesn't sound good. I want you to look back at verse 2 with me, okay, with Jude. In his introduction, Jude says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So evidently, it is possible to experience God's mercy, to have peace with God, to know the love of God, and at the same time, contend for the faith. At the same time, share Jesus with people. You know, we struggle sometimes because we walk through life and what we really want is the mercy from people. What what we really want is to be at peace with people. What we really want is the love of people rather than the mercy, peace, and love of God. And, And this desire, it stems from a misunderstanding of who we are. Of, of, of what brings mercy, peace, and what real love really looks like. And so we settle for something less. And we define ourselves by what the world says about us, by how many likes we can get on our Facebook posts, how many shares we can get, by what people talk about us, and it, are they saying good things. And we can buy this lie. We, we can agree with the 20, 27, 50% of people who identify as evangelicals that, hey, faith really is just an internal matter. 
it's not really something to be going talked about because that is divisive and we don't want to be divisive. That would go against the norm. We, we can buy the lie that, hey, you know, if, if I do that, I'm going to be cast aside. I'm going to be some outsider. People, people aren't going to want to talk to me. They're going, to, they're going to ostracize me. It's not going to go well for me. And you know what? Sometimes that may be the case. It might be. Oftentimes it probably won't be, but it might be. But if I'm more concerned about offending people than I am about offending God, what does that mean the object of my worship really is? It means the object of my worship is actually people and not God. And let me tell you something more. It means that is actually contradictory to loving people. What it really is, is using people. Because what I sense is, there is some type of benefit that I feel like I get horizontally from this relationship that I have with this person, and I am unwilling to risk that benefit in order to share Jesus with you. That's not loving, that's using Because I value this horizontal benefit of more worth, of more value than your soul. Jude says, hey, I want mercy, peace, and love, the love of God to be multiplied to you. Now contend for the faith. Because that's how it happens. Love people enough to share Jesus with them. To share Jesus with people. Go on the offensive Right, you got 1 Peter 3, and he takes the opposite approach about being ready, always being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have and to do this with gentleness and respect. Jude, that's more of the defensive posture. Jude, he takes it the other way, and he says, yes, do that, but at the same time, you've you got to go on the offensive. You've got to be the one to initiate the conversation sometimes. You, you have to want, be the one to start the dialogue. Go on the offensive. Contend for the faith. Share Jesus with people who twist God's grace into this license to do whatever they want so that perhaps they too can understand the mercy of God. Go contend for the faith. Share Jesus with people who, they, it's like their spiritual gift is complaining, right? They can complain about anything and everything, anyone and anyone. But, but, but share Jesus with them so perhaps they too can know the peace of God. Share Jesus with people who are rude and unkind and impatient and who can just be downright hateful so that perhaps they too can know the love of God. Sometimes we can hit the dislike button on sharing our faith because we desire mercy, peace, and love of people. We just want a smooth ride. The most merciful, peaceful, loving thing you can do For someone who denies Jesus, is to share Jesus with them. And this is who we are as a church. This is what we want to be known as. This is a place that we will speak truth to you. We will share Jesus with you. Sometimes it may be uncomfortable, but it will be gentle, it will be loving, it will be bold, but it will be truthful. Because if we will not, if we will not share Jesus with a lost and dying culture, who will? Who will? Where, where will they find the only hope for their souls? You can't find it anywhere else but here. And so we know that, that we are to be this people 
who share Jesus. And we, we know from how to do that with gentleness and respect. We, we get that from Peter, that we're not trying to scare people into heaven. But if in your theology you understand love and gentleness and respectful as being weak or cowardly or non-confrontational, then you misunderstand it. And sadly, many churches today misunderstand it. We've got pastors out here who, if they speak on a hard truth of Scripture, their sermon dies the death of a thousand qualifications. And we live in a culture that unfortunately gets more upset about the fact that sometimes the church will confront sin than the fact that that sin offends God. And it's especially true in the younger generation. And so the idea that this is right and this is the only way to God, that there is no other way to the Father except through the Son, the exclusivity of the message of the gospel, people look at that and they say, that's wrong. That's offensive. That cuts out a lot of people. And we say, hey, if we don't preach that, we have nothing else to say. I mean, if I don't say that, I, what am I saying? I'm just coming off of my own wisdom? What good is that? It's of no use at all. The Bible is more relevant, is more contemporary than you and I will ever be. And so we stick to the scriptures. And because of that, I will risk relationships. I will risk being slandered. I will risk my reputation. I will step outside of my box, out of my comfort zone, because I will love people enough to speak the truth to them, to share Jesus with them. And to not do that, to fail to do that, would would be to go against the core of who I am. It would be like letting my child play in the middle of Portsmouth Boulevard. Because I love you enough that I can't just sit idly by while you're headed to hell and you don't even know it. I must share Jesus with people. This is core to who we are as a church. There's another factor, though, that prevents the church sometimes from sharing Jesus with people. And it's this idea that we're just not equipped, that we don't really, I don't really know how to do that. I don't know if that's for me. Um, and it often stems from this idea that, hey, a relationship with Jesus is ultimately simply in the heart. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's in the heart, that you ask Jesus in your heart, and he's in your heart. And so Jude, he's talking here about apologetics. And sometimes we hear that word, you know, apologetics, and we get kind of scared. We back off. That's a big word. That's like a that's a big church word there, apologetics. And so we can back off of that one a little bit. And, we can, and sometimes even our natural response is to recoil and to say, well, you know, I'm not a theologian. You know, I'm not some kind of Bible snob. You know, I, that, that's not really me. We, we, we can treat it as if like knowing and understanding our Bible and being actually prepared to share Jesus with people is like having some kind of a disease. Like, oh, well, you know, that's, I'll leave that for the others. Um, the idea of having this systematized faith where we understand how the Old Testament and the New Testament work together and we can understand the prophets and we can put the Bible together and we can make sense of it and we can understand it, that it's written to be understood. It's not some kind of mythical thing out there. Well, oh, the Bible, I don't know if I can ever, ever understand that. 
No, it's written to be understood, to be grasped. And, you know, sometimes, well, I'm studying the Bible, and you hear people, well, hey, you know, as you study, just don't lose your fire. Don't, don't, don't lose your zeal. Because we know if you really want to love God, if you really want to be energized and excited for God, you got to stay ignorant. See, if your faith, if you value your faith and your experience, you will understand what the word means. Because God has given us his word so that by it we can understand him and who he is and how life works. If faith is simply this internal matter and what we feel, and what I know on the inside, then Paul's words to the Romans don't make any sense when he says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we are thinking people, that we are reasonable people, that we can read this, and we can understand it, and it transforms the way we live. That The Bible is not true simply because of my internal feelings on these things. And if we stop gauging the rightness and wrongness of things uh, based on Scripture and look simply to how does it feel, then Paul's approach of come, let us reason together through the Scriptures is thrown aside. We cast that aside for, you know, let me tell you my truth. Here's what it means to me. I am not concerned with what the Bible means to you. I am simply concerned what does the Bible mean when God superintended the authors to write it to us? What does he mean by what he says? And so you you can go and you can hear a message sometimes and you can say, that was awesome. That was so powerful. He spoke with such conviction and authority. Yes, but did you recognize that it was heretical? Oh, stop, you're being so judgmental. You see how the conversation can work? The need for sharing Jesus is critical today, and it's monumental because we've got people sharing some other kind of Jesus out there. A Jesus of their own invention. A Jesus of how we would want him to be. A Jesus of tradition. A Jesus of of folklore. A Jesus of what makes me comfortable. We share the Jesus of the Bible. This is how he revealed himself. I can preach nothing else. I will share the Jesus of the scriptures. And sometimes we can think, well, to do that, you got to be some kind of special ops Christian. you got to be some kind of Delta Force Christian. you got to be gifted in philosophy and debate and world religion. Notice again with me who Jude addresses his letter to. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. It's for those who have their identity with God. Those called by the Spirit, beloved by the Father, and kept for the Son. See, if you believe that sharing Jesus is only for like special Christians, then you would have to believe. That it is only those special Christians who are called by the Spirit, beloved by the Father, and kept for the Son. Because that's what Jude says. But we don't believe that. 
We know that's not right. We know that everyone who has been rescued by God has been called by the Spirit, beloved by the Father, kept for the Son. This is the Trinitarian nature of our salvation. And therefore, essentially, we believe that this mission is critical for all of us because we are all the church. And he's called us all to this. In order for Central to have the type of impact on our community that we desire to have, this mission is too big for just several of us to do. This mission is for all of us. It takes all of us being involved in sharing the good news of Jesus. And it's not enough to say, that's a good thing. I'm glad we value that here. That is not enough. It requires us all to say that I will share Jesus with my family. I'm going to get to know my neighbors so that I can share Jesus with them. At school, I'm going to get to know my classmates, and I'm going to start conversations. I'm going to share Jesus with them. At work, maybe a lunch break or something, I'm going to share Jesus with people. I had a good friend of mine. He worked at Boeing up in Seattle, and he just felt compelled, like, oh, man, I am not maximizing who I am as a Christian. I'm not having the impact that I ought to have. He was high up in Boeing. And because of just the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he started a Bible study at Boeing. And he had all these people coming in early, and he was inviting all these people at Boeing. And his, his, he was such a good worker, he worked so hard that his boss was like, okay, go ahead and do it. You know, he wasn't going to stop him. And all these people at Boeing started getting saved because of one man just, I'm going to share Jesus with people. This is the mission to which I'm called. I can do nothing less. And I'm not going to be ignorant of the scriptures. I'm going to study them because this is life-giving. And I want to understand what does it look like to be the man, the woman, the son, the daughter that God has called me to be. I'm going to study. I want to represent Jesus as he would represent himself. Sharing Jesus is not some kind of specialized mission. It's not just for Delta Ops, Special Forces, Christians. Sharing Jesus is a normal part of being a Christian. It's just who we are. The good news of Jesus Christ just has to get out. You can't keep it to yourself. And so we must be able to know what we believe, why we believe it, and communicate that to somebody else. And as we focus on our mission here at Central, it's imperative that we don't try to live this life in isolation. You know, God, God didn't save us to live isolated from the body of Christ. He didn't save us to live isolated from the lost and dying world. And as we live in connection with people, and as the Holy Spirit empowers us to live our lives, people will begin to ask questions. And it's not usually the question like, oh, so tell me, how do you have a relationship with Jesus? That question doesn't come a lot. But the question that does come is, you know, you work so hard. You're different than everyone else in this company. What, what makes you work so hard? Or, you know, that other person, they're really kind of a jerk, but you're always so patient with them and so good to them and so kind. How do you do it? Or I've seen the way that you interact with your kids, and even when they misbehave, you're patient with them and you're loving with them. And where do you get that kind of patience? How do you not just fly off the handle? And it's those kind of questions that begin to be asked because people notice there's something different about you. They can't quite put their finger on it. They don't know what it is, but they notice there's something different there. And then you're ready to share Jesus. 
You ready to say, hey, it's not my power, but I can tell you how. Because God can do the same thing for you that he's done for me. Some things are just so natural to being people, like protecting our kids, providing for them. At the core of Central, one, one thing that will be so part and parcel to who we are is sharing Jesus with people, the Jesus represented in Scripture. In fact, to be here and to not to share Jesus with people, just to think that you can just kind of come and hang out, eventually you might be uncomfortable. You might be challenged. You're going to want, hey, I, I want to share what everyone else is sharing. I want to march in unity sharing Jesus with people. Next week, we'll examine the second part of our mission statement, the idea of impacting people and making disciples. And we'll, we'll look through a whole host of questions. What, what does it mean to be a disciple anyway? It's some church language. What does that mean? How do you know when you've made a disciple? What does a disciple look like? What does a disciple do? How can we impact people the way God would have us impact people? So you won't want to miss next week. Heavenly Father, it's good to be here. It's good to be able to worship you through your word, through singing together, through the fellowship with other believers. And God, we count it a great privilege that you would choose to use us, broken, imperfect people, to share the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, with our community. God, help us never to take that privilege lightly. Help us to do it with passion and boldness because of our love for you and our love for others. We recognize we need your help to do it well, so we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.